This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. Today we are talking about cash bail, how it criminalizes poverty, and how courts excessively rely on it. On any given day, there are more than 30,000 people in county jails in Pennsylvania. A majority of them have not been convicted of the crime for which they are being held, and many of them are there not because they are a flight risk or because they are a danger to public safety, but simply because they cannot afford the bail that they've been assigned. Over the last year or so, ACLUPA staff and volunteers observed more than 2,000 bail hearings in Philadelphia, and what they observed was disturbing. As our team watched these hearings, it became clear to them that the judges who oversee these hearings, known as arraignment court magistrates, were relying on cash bail as a means of incarceration and in violation of Pennsylvania's rules of criminal procedure, which dictate that no one should be held before trial simply because they cannot afford bail. These judges were assigning bail to people who were homeless, to people on disability and other types of public assistance, and to people who were unemployed. So on March 12th, the ACLU of Pennsylvania and the law firm of Arnold and Porter filed a lawsuit against the Philadelphia bail magistrates in the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, asking the court to enforce the rules to bring the Philadelphia courts into compliance. We represent 10 people who are incarcerated in Philadelphia jails and two organizations that support people who are held pre-trial, the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund and the Youth Art and Self-Empowerment Project. We held a press conference that day to announce the lawsuit Let's listen in on a few of the speakers, starting with Candace McKinley of the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund. The Philadelphia Community Bail Fund started in 2017 after the National Mama's Day bailout effort to raise money to post bail for incarcerated mothers in advance of Mother's Day. Since then, the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund has posted more than $300,000 to release 109 people. For one person. Um, but in that, we've, we've posted bail as low as $50 for a woman who was pregnant and held in jail, $50. Um, there was a highest that we've posted has been $32,000, um, and that was for a, a youth, a kid, who turned 18 while in adult prison, um, and his total bail was $320,000. Um, we were able to bail him out, but now he's on house arrest. Um, and so we work with people who are really on the margins or who are just barely scraping by. Like I live paycheck to paycheck. Um, I wouldn't be considered poor by many standards, but I couldn't afford to post these bails. Um, so people who have been in jail for even just three days, they have, they've lost their houses, they've lost their homes, their jobs. Some many people lose custody of their children. We've had people who have given birth while they've been locked up um, and had their kids taken away from them. Um, and we've had to scramble to post bail so they can go and show up at um, family court to try to get their child back. Um, so these are really heartbreaking cases. We've had people who've languished in jail without ever seeing an attorney, without understanding what their charges were for 14 months. Our first Mother's Day, she was in there for 14 months. Didn't even really know why. Um, who knows how long she would have stayed there before she finally saw the inside of the courtroom. So um, what we're really just asking the bail measures to do is to follow the rules that are already in the books. 
because bail is supposed to be a surety to ensure that someone comes back for jail, for court rather, not so that they have an excuse to jail someone for like months or even years. Next, um, we'll hear from Josh really Glenn, the co-founder of the Youth Art and Self-Empowerment Project. YASP is a youth-led organization that conducts weekly art and poetry workshops with children in Philadelphia jails who are charged as adults. Um, just to talk about my own experience, you know, I can't even go into talking about anything until I actually tell you what I've been through when it pertains to bail. I was locked up at the age of 16, charged as an adult, held for 18 months until my case was eventually dismissed. And, you know, just to think about what I lost, I was a young kid getting out of jail, couldn't get back in touch with my family, wasn't able to go back to regular school because they said I was charged as an adult, tried to go get a job. They wouldn't employ me because they said that I was arrested. And so it comes up every time I try to go get a job. It was really horrible. And, and to be honest, you know, these, these politics, these, these tough on crime politics, they don't work. You know, if you want to talk about safety, I could tell you a lot of things that can make our communities really safe. How about investing in programs that address the root causes to why people are committing crimes in the first place? That's what we need. We don't need bail magistrates giving people bells that they know they can't pay. What it does is it holds people back. It messes up people's lives. It separates families. And if you want to, if you really want to destroy a community, you separate families. This system, we can't just talk about bell like it's not connected to the whole racist systemic process. You know, it's just not bell. There's a lot of other things that are really damaging our communities. You know, it's the targeting of our communities. It's, it's also bell. You know, you know that a young person that's underage cannot afford to pay a half a million dollar bell. We don't understand why young people right now are being, they're being given half a million dollar bells for their freedom. They're, they're being made to buy their freedom. It just doesn't work. And it's not something that can make our communities really safe. Um, we're happy to be a, a plaintiff, a plaintiff uh, and to be a part of this lawsuit. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's been a long time coming, but I also want to say something to our communities, you know, when I look at the history of mass incarceration, when I look at the history of slavery, there's, n there's no real difference. It just morphed into what we have here today. And as a community, we need to stand up for each other and we need to take back our communities. We need to take care of each ourselves and take care of each other. The thing is, we never change anything in our communities without doing it ourselves. And then the system had, they found ways to destroy those movements. And so now we have to create a new movement and we have to end Cash Bell. Finally, Sally Pay of the law firm Arnold & Porter is one of our volunteer attorneys on this case. Sally describes the legal basis of the lawsuit. Say that our, the theory behind our, our complaint is actually quite simple. Uh, all we are asking for is an order from the Supreme Court um, compelling the bail commissioners or the arraignment court magistrates to actually just follow the rules that, are, uh, that impose obligations on them, um, not only to ensure that people are accorded the presumption that they should be uh, released and out in the community pending trial, um, but also that uh, any conditions of release, um, well, that the arraignment court magistrate should consider first alternative conditions of release, and in those cases where uh, monetary bail is considered necessary, it should only be in an amount that uh, the defendant is able to pay. Uh, so again, we, it's, it's quite simple, really. All we are asking for is, um, is that the bail commissioners simply follow the rules. You can learn more about this case at aclupa.org slash phillybail. Also be sure to check out the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund at phillybailout.com 
and the Youth Art and Self-Empowerment Project at YASproject.com. According to a report by the Prison Policy Initiative, Pennsylvania is one of eight states in which the prison population among women has declined since 2009. But the decrease in women incarcerated in Pennsylvania has not been as dramatic as the drop among men. Yvonne Laddie has more on the work that has been happening in Philadelphia to support mothers who are incarcerated, a story we bring to you in honor of Women's History Month. On this hot spring day in Philadelphia, on South Broad Street, past the oldest opera house in America, theaters, posh hotels, high school students dressed up for prom, tourists and city workers heading home, about a hundred mostly black women march behind a banner which says, free our mothers, uncuff our communities. According to the ACLU, Women are the fastest growing segment of the incarcerated population. The numbers are increasing at nearly double the rate of men. About 60% of women in jail have not even been convicted of a crime. They sit in jail waiting for trial. This march is led by Latanya Myers and a group of formerly incarcerated women from the nonprofit People's Paper Co-op. 18 cities across the country are doing a version of a mama's bailout. It's a national movement. In Philly, it means 15 women who have been sitting in jail because they cannot afford bail for misdemeanor crimes will be home in time for Mother's Day. In Philly, these moms range in age. There's a 19-year-old high school senior and a 65-year-old grandmother. One of the bailed out moms was in jail for 400 days, another for four days. Some have never been in jail before, but all were being held on bail from about $500 to $2,000. Two days before the march, about 10 members of the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund meet at the Criminal Justice Center with a list of names and checks to bail the women out. We're like a collection of different um, activist groups and um, some nonprofits came together to raise money to bail black mamas out of jail. That's their spokeswoman, Candace McKinley. She says they will keep raising money through individual donations, corporate donations, any way they can, until cash bail is ended. I, th I think that's deeply immoral um, and, and problematic that we put our resources in jailing people like animals um, and not in providing people treatment and support and help. When we, especially when we know that that's what they need, then they're not dangerous, they just need help. Philly, like most cities, has a big problem with mass incarceration. A legacy of families, mostly black and brown, go in and out of the system. But recently, this city has been in the forefront of jail reform. We got a new DA, Larry Krasner, who made it a centerpiece of his platform. Mayor Jim Kenney and the city council want reform too. And the city was awarded a $3.5 million grant by the MacArthur Foundation to back new ideas and initiatives. The formerly incarcerated are finding their voice. In North Philly, there's the People's Paper Co-op. 
filled with artwork, comfy couches, and a door that is always swinging open with recently released women looking for help and wanting to help others. Every week, about a half a dozen women meet to plan a welcome home event for the mothers who will come home in Mama's bailout. Um, as Natty was wondering if we wanted to put like a little bit of gold behind this to like tie these together, or huh? Yeah. Or if we want black satin, because we'll have the cuffs are going to be black. Ooh, black might be nice. And the flowers are going to be all like bright and pretty. That's Courtney Bowles and Mark Strandquist, the co-directors of the nonprofit, which is part of the Village of Humanities. They look at prison reform through the lens of artistic expression. They bring on formerly incarcerated women to help with reform initiatives. It's a group of women who are nominated by halfway houses and reentry organizations from all over the city. Those organizations choose a woman in their program that they think is ready for leadership opportunities but hasn't maybe had that chance yet, and then we provide paid fellowships. They do yoga and poetry workshops and computer classes and work on initiatives like the bail fund. You know, I, I feel proud of the, the work that I'm doing with this campaign to try to bail out women. So it's not only helping me, but it's helping the people that I was formerly incarcerated with. That's Latanya Myers. Everyone calls her T. At 28, she's one of the younger women in the room. She's only been out of jail about five months. It hasn't been easy. They give these money towards grants and having these programs developed for us, but how many of these programs are actually giving us jobs? T has been in jail over 15 times, the last time for nine months for a burglary charge she was exonerated for. She sat in jail because she could not afford the $1,500 bail and was on probation, which created yet another hurdle. While at Riverside Correctional Facility, she was assigned to work in the maternity ward where she spent her days with moms. And I literally watched these women, babies grow in their stomach. Like this is the first time I ever actually had to witness what a mother goes through while they locked up. You know, when you hear about your kid not getting dressed right for school or they not eating or you gotta depend on this family member to take care of them. T says she watched pregnant women go hungry because they were not getting enough food to eat. Meals were often cold cheese sandwiches and a carton of milk or red beans and rice. She saw one woman give birth in a toilet and others placed in solitary confinement. I remember being on my knees crying and I said, God, please push me toward, put people in my life that's gonna push me towards my goals and not pull me away from them. And I came home and I signed up for school. I came home in November and I was like, I want to get, <clears throat> I want to go to community college. I'm going to make a difference. T's life has been a series of tragedies. Her father was a drug dealer who was murdered when he was 24. Her mother still struggles with addiction. He came home from prison and um, he heard, you know, my mom was struggling with drugs. And at 24 years old, he made a decision and said, I'm going to raise my daughter on my own, and I'm going to do it the right way, and I'm going to get a job. Why was he in prison? For selling drugs. For selling drugs. And um, so he got full custody of me. He got a job through Armart. And um, unfortunately, I was with him for two months, and he was killed. He was killed and I had to return back to everything that he basically tried to save me from. She said his body was found floating in the Schuylkill River. You know, I just know that he made that effort 
to save me from whatever he knew that, you know, whatever mistakes that he made, you know, I just know that he came home with the same intentions that a lot of these women came come home with, with a lot of other people come home with the intentions of bettering themselves, with the intentions of doing better for their family. And that's what I know my father came home with that intentions and that's why I'm holding on, you know, to the unfulfilled dreams that he wasn't able to accomplish. And I wanna break that chain. The inner city streets of Philadelphia can be cruel. T grew up in West Philly, in the tough neighborhood of King Sessing. The unemployment rate is close to 25%. The poverty rate is 33%. He hustled drugs on these quarters for years, while her mother, Rhonda Meyer, struggled with addiction and their relationship. When I was younger, um, she was really heavy into drugs. Clashed a lot, you know, with her dealing with her drug addiction and me in the streets. Um, we would fight a lot, we would argue a lot. But even at the worst times of Rhonda's addiction, she was fighting for tea. Like this corner right here, even in her addiction, I used to hustle on this corner and she would come out here. Right out here on these corners, boycotting it, calling the police every time I seen her out here selling. They threatened me. Like, Miss Rhonda, you better get off this block. You know, you might catch a straight bullet. And I was like, don't make it a straight bullet. Bring it, because I'm not going to lose my daughter to these streets. She says she just could not give up on T. Cannot leave. I can't walk away. I don't care how old she is. I just can't as a parent, because I know she needs me. She's been through so much, and I've put her through so much. So tell me a little bit about, like, what happened? What was it like raising her? Well, what happened was... Everything started out good. You know, I was staying with my mother, and I was working for the state hospital, Hereford State Hospital. I was doing really good. And then, um, you know, I got pregnant with Latanya. And, um, you know, I just made some bad choices in my life. Meanwhile, I started dipping and dabbing into the drugs. Rhonda believed she had her addiction under control, but she did not. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I got it under control. And I was giving her everything, believe me when I tell you. At least I thought I was giving her everything. I was giving her all, everything material, but I was not giving her me what she needed. My mother gave her that part, you know, and I feel like, you know, that's why I can't get upset when sometimes I feel like she doesn't love me. But I know she do, but it's hard. But I couldn't give her that because I was sick. But now Rhonda? wants to be the mother T needs. Now all I can do now is pray to God that the things that I say, even with my addiction or whatever the case may be to her, that some of it got through to her. And I know it did, because if it didn't, we wouldn't be staying here. We'd be up State Road somewhere. Have you been incarcerated? Yes, I've been incarcerated. I've been incarcerated three, four times. T was arrested for the first time when she was 12. When I was 12, I caught my first case. My, uh, I woke up, my mom boyfriend, they were still in the addiction, was arguing. And um, he was like over top of her, putting his hands in her face, belittling her. And um, I felt like wasn't nobody else in the house going to be able to save my mom but me. And um, I, I just took matters in my own hands and I pushed them off my mom and I told him, you know, get the F out of my house and 
I punched him and I hit him with like a aerosol can. He left, called the cops, and had T and her mother arrested. And that was the first case I ever caught. And that just propelled into like this cycle of like frustration and trying to like go against the system, mad at my mom, because I was in that situation. Like he dropped charges on me, but he pressed charges against my daughter. So I was able to come and Tanya took the bulk of this. And from that point on, it was just like, you know, instead of the, instead of the system protecting me, they prosecuted me, you know, and I'm telling the I'm telling my defense lawyer at 12, like, I didn't, like, like, I was just trying to save my mom, like, um, and she would just basically told me to take the deal, you know, she was like, you can go home today if you take a deal, and I'm like, no, like, he was in our house, like, I was protecting my mom, but at that time, you know, I wanted to go home, so I took the deal, not knowing that that one decision would impact my life for years to come. That led T to probation, and the lack of guidance and support led her to the streets. So I came to the streets to find her. You know, I came out here and I like kind of found a family, what I thought was a family, on these corners. And um, I lost a lot of friends on these corners. A war zone. It's crazy out here. And so after um, your, the problems that you had with your mom and, and being incarcerated at 12 or taking the deal at 12, what happened? Right after that, you started selling drugs yourself. Like, what were you, what happened? Yeah. So after that, I felt like I got real frustrated. I felt like the only way that I was going to be, be able to really get myself the, the money I needed to, like, wash my clothes and... The only support that I had was felt like was my friends, which was like the, the five people I went to school with. So, you know, we started selling drugs and I started thinking that that was the only option for me. I started thinking that my friends loved me more than my family loved me. So I started making decisions that, I mean, I'm not proud of to the day, but I felt like my hand was forced to do them. And um, I, just, I just had this mentality, like me against the world, you know? And um, not knowing that I was actually adding to my own demise. T says she was arrested the last time because she walked in on her girlfriend, who she was living with, cheating on her. Uh, the girl that I was um, staying with, my lover, um, I came home. I didn't know she had someone there. She called the cops and told the cops that she didn't know who I was and that I tried to get into her house. The whole time we was living together, the police come, I'm trying to explain to him that I live here. <laughs> like, it's my girlfriend, she's just mad at me. And um, they arrest me, throw me to the ground, kick me in my lip, bust my lip. They tried to take me straight to the, uh, to the police district. The police district seen my face, they was like, no, take her to the hospital. Although she said she had pictures and witnesses proving their relationship, proving that she was not an intruder, it didn't matter. So I wound up getting the pictures of me and her together, um, hugged up in our house. I got witnesses. And so I'm sending this to my lawyer, and I'm telling my lawyer, like, yo, you need to, like, go to the DA and let them know, like, she's doing this out of spite. So the lawyer's like, what? Um, well, we got to wait until this court date, and, well, this is, might not be enough evidence. And I'm like, how isn't it enough evidence? She says she don't know me. I'm sitting there holding her, like, in bed or whatever. So... Because we wasting time before, you know, 
we go on for trial and all this stuff. So they wind up offering me two to seven years. I said, I'm not taking it. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's the deal. You know, I went to trial and I got found not guilty on all the charges. But that nine months I said, I lost my job. It's a hot day outside Riverside Correctional Facility in Northeast Philadelphia. About 20 women stand under trees and near a bus stop waiting for the first group of women to be bailed out for the Mama's Day bailout. There is artwork designed by the women from the People's Paper Co-op decorating the bus stop, and T and three other women hold up a purple sign with gold trim that says, Welcome home. We're making a change to break the chains. Hashtag free our mothers. They wait and wait. I feel so, I feel so good right now. Like I feel proud. I'm excited for the ladies. I'm excited for myself. I'm excited to be here and just be a part of all this. Like, and I feel the love. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just so happy to be able to, that I found these people, that I found my voice. A jail bus pulls up, and about a half a dozen women step out carrying large plastic bags holding their belongings. They were given care bags with things like toothpaste, deodorant, and septa cards, and they are hugged. just tell a lie on somebody like I could point to you right now and be like oh you just did something to me and they'll lock you up and treat you like an animal like that's ridiculous mom mom thank you I'm out Never been locked up before. All for nothing. They lock you up first, ask questions later. We the women. We the women are powerful. We the women are wild. We the women are fierce. We the women are unstoppable, you dig? Woo! We the women are masterpieces. The core of the family. We are strong, wonderful, the backbone of the world. We are what our communities need. But though we are free, there are too many women away from their children. In the city hall courtyard, about 100 supporters and media gather for the re-entry day press conference in March, which is more of an opportunity for a group of formerly incarcerated women to speak and shout their truth. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sheila Michael, and I need your help. Yes. I believe that together with each one of you, your community involvement, and your families, we can change things. We need to free our mothers now, yeah. not yesterday. This is not a problem of the future. This is a problem now. We need to put mothers back with their children, 
nurturing and guiding them to set an example for our community. We need to put these mothers back in jobs yes. that builds up not only their self-confidence, but the role model they set for other young women just coming out. I just wanted to say, like, you know, us women, like, we're, we're not in, in unencourageable. We're not convicts. We're not vicious, you know? We're, where are the, the, the mothers of the next generation, like I said before, you know? Uh, we are leaders, we are organizers. You know, we want access to the same thing as everyone else. Equal opportunity, uh, career uh, career climbing jobs, that we can sustain our family. Um, we can do it, we organize this. <laughs> we organize this. So, you know, talk to us, use us. You know, we are experts at this. If you need to know anything about what's going on, ask us. We know, trust me. As the marchers assemble, T's mom, Rhonda, who came to support her, gives T a hug. Yo, this your time to shine, baby, shine. As long as she stay away from negativity, she gonna be okay. I'm Yvonne Laddie for Beto Productions. Production support provided by Amy Zahn, Chelsea Rose Marcius, and Shelly Spector. Special thanks to Latanya T. Myers and Rhonda Myers, Lauren Taylor, and Candace McKinley of the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund, Courtney Bowles and Mark Strandquist of the People's Paper Co-op and their fellows, Thank you to Yvonne, Laddie, and everyone who brought us that story. That brings episode 21 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, your host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be free.